Good morning. Welcome to South Bay Community Church this morning. I especially want to recognize our guests, our visitors who are here with us. Thank you for being here in the Lord's house together with, with the church. We've been in this series called Outrageous Love, and the whole challenge throughout has been how do we go out and love our neighbors as ourselves, to follow this great commandment that Christ gave us, to love your neighbor as yourself. And so we've been challenging you guys to actually engage and participate in love projects. Like find something to do with others by yourself. Or find something to do where you can actually practice this and live it out. I've been excited. We've gotten some emails and reports. Some have been posting on our Facebook page, our Outrageous Love Facebook page, uh, what you guys have been doing. So I want to show some of what the church has been doing. For example, the Women of the Word group have gotten together, and they put together these lunch bags for people in need. And along with some of these lunch bags, they've written encouragement letters, especially to family members who are maybe sick or going through difficult times. This is the way that they are loving their neighbors as themselves. We have uh, Ron and Sue Bergman's life group. They got together. They called their project Love Rocks because love rocks. And so they got together to paint loving messages on these rocks. And they'll go out and put them all throughout the community, put them in the ground so that people can stumble across them and be encouraged with messages like God loves you. One of them says, come join us at SBCC and messages to let people know that they are loved. We got another group, the, the Shozies and... Uh, and Marlin's Women's Life Group kind of came together. They decided we we're going to make toiletry bags, blessing bags they call it, filled with all sorts of toiletries like soap, toothbrush, toothpaste, um, shampoo, all these things that they, they can keep in their car. So if they come across anyone's path who, who is in need, they can just reach in their car and bless them with a blessings bag. Here's a, one more group, a Tuesday night group. This is Jason and James's Tuesday night group. They decided to also put together gift bags, and they actually went yesterday to the nursing home nearby where they distributed it to the people at the nursing home, but they also stuck around to just talk, to, to mingle, to, to pray for people, to share the gospel with some people. Here they are playing bingo with the people in the nursing home, and they said it was just a good time to hang out with the people in the nursing home. And so these are just a few of the things that some of you guys are doing. There's a lot more that, that have been reported to us, many more beyond that that we haven't heard about. But, but I love this because it shows us that we are being intentional about that question, who is my neighbor and how can I love my neighbor as myself? And we're realizing that our neighbors are basically any, anyone we come across or across paths with. It could be the person on the driveway next to mine or the person in the car next to me on the 405. It could be that homeless person on the street corner. Or it could be that homemaker that I see at the grocery store all the time. Anybody I cross paths with is my neighbor and I should love that neighbor as myself. And as you guys are doing an amazing job of going out and loving your neighbors, I want to stop and this week remind us that as you're doing such an amazing job of loving your neighbors as yourself, to also remember to love yourselves as you do your neighbor. You, the church, that you would remember, hey, let's not forget about the body of Christ, the community of believers, that we ought to be as intentional and as active about loving ourselves, each other, as we are intentionally loving those on the outside of this church. Let's keep on doing good. Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, this is the encouragement. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially, check this out, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. The ESV version says, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That's you. That's, that's yourselves. So let's love yourselves as you would your neighbor. And I know you guys do that. You guys encourage one another. You guys pray for one another. You guys bless one another. You guys are kind to one another. And so, so I know we, we do do that. But today I want to talk about some of the less common ways that the Bible prescribes for us to love each other that aren't always practiced. I'm titling today's message, the roads less traveled. 
the roads less traveled, the ways of love that are not as commonly practiced as they should be in the church. So before we open the word of God, I want to ask, would you guys uh, bow your heads with me and let's come before God and ask him to be our teacher this morning. Father God, we just really pray and ask that you would come and that you would speak, Lord, that above all the voices that we hear this morning, whether it's the guy on the stage or my, my spouse nagging at me in my mind or my parents telling me what I need to do or my coworker or my classmate telling me or our next project we got to work. There's many voices this morning, God. Maybe it's the enemy trying to deceive us or lie to us. But God, above all voices, we pray that we would hear yours, that your spirit would open up our hearts, that your spirit would soften our hearts to really see these ways of love that you've prescribed to us in Scripture. It's always been there. But Lord, we may not always live them out the way we should. So God, would you come and teach us how to be that church, how to be that kind of community of faith? And would you move us and change us? And God, I pray that nothing I say this morning will be life-changing or successful or memorable unless it's true and unless it's from you. And, And that's what we long for. So God, take over this time. We give it to you. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. We all say, amen. Amen. So, so what are some ways to love that, that aren't commonly practiced? What are these less traveled roads? If you have your notes with you, would you guys write this first one in? The, the way to love, number one, is the road to eradication. The road to eradication. Speaking of the eradication of poverty. Let me explain to you why I chose to use that word I used to work among the, the homeless in downtown LA. I've shared many stories with you guys in the past. But as I worked with some of these homeless people, I have to be honest, I had this question that would come up in my mind quite often. And if I could be really honest, it often had a skeptical tone. And it was this question, God, is it even possible to eradicate poverty? Like you call us to care for the poor, but, but what do you expect from this? Do you think we can really do away with Poverty, that we can abolish or or eradicate homelessness. Like, can we solve this problem? Why do we do what you've called us to do? And then I came across this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 15. And and it's encouraging because God is telling the, the people of Israel, he says, care for those among you who are needy or who are poor. He says, be generous, don't be tight fisted, be open handed. If someone needs help, lend to them. If someone owes you seven year, every seven years, if they can't pay you back, just cancel the debt. Take care of one another. And, and when he gives this command, here's what verse 4 says, Deuteronomy 15, verse 4. He says, but there will be no more poor people among you. For the Lord will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess If only, and here's the stipulation, if only you will strictly obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all this commandment that I command you today. So it's like, really, God, you're telling me in verse 4, there will be no poor people among you if we just follow your commands and we just live it out and we're generous with each other and we take care of one another? We can eradicate poverty? Man, that's hopeful. That's encouraging. And then I get to verse 11 of the same chapter. Check out verse 11. Just, just a few verses down, it says this. There will always be poor people in the land. Okay, good. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. And it's like, hold up. These are two verses from the same scripture, same chapter, same Bible, same breath of God. How is it, God, that you're telling me in verse 4 there will be no more poor people among you. And then verse 11, you tell us there will always be poor people in the land. I mean, that's like directly contradicting each other. And how is it that, the, that both of these can be true? What are you saying? Will there or will not, there not be poor people among us? And I think the, que- the, the answer to the question, verse 4 or verse 11, which one is true? And I would say, 
Yes, both of them are true. Why? Because you look at it, you look at it more closely. In verse 11, there will always be poor people in the land, in the land, in this world, in the surrounding community. There's always going to be people who lose their jobs. There's always going to be businesses that tank. There's always going to be people who experience unforeseen accidents. There's always going to be people who squander their wealth and make mistakes. There will always be people in need. But in verse 4 it says, but if you listen to what I'm commanding you, there will be no poor people among you. And he's talking about you, the, the covenant community of God, the, the people of Israel. You may not be able to eradicate poverty in the world. But if you take care of those among you, as I'm commanding you, we can eradicate poverty amongst ourselves, among you, the covenant community of God. So yes, it is possible to eradicate poverty within your community. As believers today, the church we are the covenant community of God through Jesus Christ. He has brought us into his fold. We are the body of Christ with the family of God. And we may not be able to solve poverty in the world. We may not be able to get rid of homelessness in L.A. or even the South Bay. But we can take care of each other within the community of faith and make sure that nobody is in need. We can make sure that poverty is eradicated from within us if we would just do as the Lord says. This isn't just an old school, Old Testament idea that was just for the Israelites way back in Deuteronomy 15. I believe this is true of the church today. Let me turn you to the New Testament. Here's the instruction to the New Testament church, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Here's what it says. It says, our desire... It's not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Circle that word equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Now, here's what this passage is saying, and we read this in Acts chapter 4 as well. But what it's saying that as a community of Christ, we need to pull together. As the church, we need to come together and collectively ask, who is in need? Now, this is a teaching that's not often taught, but, but it's true. Who is in need among us? And if I happen to see my situation, and I'm in a season of plenty, and I see you, and you're in a season of need, I have to ask myself, can I in this season meet your need? And if I can, the way of love, it might be hard, but the way of love is to say, okay, then I'm going to help meet your need so that I won't be one with too much, and you won't be one with too little, but we will be able to make sure everybody is taken care of. That's the way of love. Now, if Mark is hard-pressed and, and, and Corey is hard-pressed, then the burden shouldn't be on Mark to be hard-pressed to take care of the one who is hard-pressed. There's got to be someone else in this community who is in a season of plenty to meet him in a season of need. Let's not put it on Mark. Let's put it on ourselves if we can. And I pray that if, if, if I can and I help take care of your need, that one day when I'm in need, you will help take care of me. If we would all just live out this command. Now, some of you guys, let, let, let me say it out loud. You're thinking, wow, that actually sounds a lot like socialism. That kind of sounds like communism, the redistribution of wealth. I'm, I'm the one working. Wait, hold on. Let me, let me just say this. This is not communism. This is community. This is gospel-driven, biblically-inspired, love-inspired, spirit-filled community. Because communism is when it's forced upon you. You have no choice. You have no property. You have no rights. It is taken from you and redistributed, sometimes against your will. Whereas community, this is where we voluntarily give up what I can in order to love others. Why? Simply out of my love for the Lord, my God. This is my choice. Why? Because I love him and this is what he tells us that we should do. That's the difference. This is community. Now, that's how the Bible tells us we ought to live as the community of faith, the people of God. But if, if Scripture is going to drive 
that teaching and that way of life, that way of love, that we got to look at the whole counsel of Scripture. Because in Scripture, it teaches us how we can love well in this way. Right? Eradicating poverty within our community doesn't happen when you just endlessly give out handouts to those in need. Because that might do nothing to the poverty that exists among us. So check out 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. 2 Thessalonians 3 says this in verse 6. Here's the guideline. Now we command you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse 10 goes on to say, For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. So here's, here's the guidelines and the instruction that Scripture lays out for us on how to love well. The teaching to to take care of those among us and to share with those in need is not a license for those in need to just sit there and receive continuously, day after day, year after year, taking no responsibility of their own. It's not a license for them to just sit there. When those are in need are given relief by others in the community of Christ, it ought to be a means to an end. It ought to be a means to help them get up onto their feet so eventually they would be able to make a living so that when somebody else is in the position they used to be, they can in turn supply them with the plenty that God has blessed them with through the community. Right? It, it is a means to an end. And so the church, listen to this, the church as a community, we're not called to enable people to be dependent on the church. We're called to empower people so that they can rise up to be in a place where they can in turn help others in need. I love that we're already seeing this in this church. A brother has come to our church through our Heaven's Kitchen ministry. Uh, our Heaven's Kitchen ministry, once a month, they, they serve up warm meals to people in need. Um, some of them are homeless. And there's a brother who, who has come to our church who is now part of the family of God here, worships with us every weekend. Sometimes we'll come to our Tuesday prayer meetings, has been part of a life group. And I love that there are some other life groups, about three or four life groups, who have come together to say, hey, let's pull together some money and let's buy this brother a van. He's currently homeless and currently without a job. And so they, th- they thought if we can purchase a van for him, it will provide a place for him to live and shelter him during this winter but also be transportation for him to get to work, to and from work. And so they're coming together. I think they have the money raised. Now it's a matter of purchasing it. But there's also another brother who's been walking alongside him. He uh, leads our Heaven's Kitchen Ministry. He asked me not to say his name, so we'll just call him Brother G. Okay, Brother G has been walking alongside him for quite a while now, just taking him out to lunch, giving him a temporary phone, helping him apply for, for uh, relief for benefits, helping him have internet access to, to look for jobs. And so he's come alongside him. And I love that at one of our prayer meetings, this, this, this brother has shared with us at our Tuesday night prayer meeting what Brother G said to him one time. And he says, I, I really appreciate that he said this to me, but he says, what, what I'm doing for you, this is not a handout. This is a hand up. I'm not giving you a hand out so that you can just sit there and make it through the day. I'm trying to give you a hand up so you can thrive for a lifetime. You guys have heard that saying, give a man a fish and you'll feed him for the day. But teach a man a fish, you'll feed him for a lifetime. That's what the church is called to do. The church is called to, to help each other and love on each other. And so there, there are two roads we can take. When it comes to eradicating the the need and, and the poverty from among us, there's two roads we can take. With good intentions, we can give handouts, which will never eradicate poverty within our community. Or with biblical instruction, we can give people a loving hand up. 
and we can empower them and walk with them. And when we do that, we can eradicate poverty in that person's life. That's the way of love. Let's be that kind of community. Amen? Amen. So that's the first way of love. Let me go on to way of love number two, a road less traveled, is the road to edification. The road to edification of the body specifically. So as a church, we don't only love by lifting people up physically, but we need to love by building each other up spiritually. Because materially poor people or homeless people aren't the only ones who need love. We all need love. And, and there's a way to do this well that sometimes we don't do. See, in the church, there, there are black and white issues. There are black and white issues that, that are without dispute. The Bible is very clear that there are some things we should do and things we shouldn't do. For example, yeah, we should love God, love your neighbor. That's easy. Mark chapter 12. We should be kind, be compassionate. According to Ephesians 4, very clear. We should pray for our enemies and, and forgive our enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. That's Matthew chapter 5. And so very clearly, we know what we should do, and the Bible makes very clear what we shouldn't do. Do not lie. Do not cheat. Do not steal. Leviticus 19. Do, do not murder. Matthew chapter 7. We should not have premarital or extramarital sex. We should protect the wedding bed or the marriage bed. Hebrews chapter 13. We should not get drunk on wine, that Ephesians chapter 5. Very clear black and white issues, no dispute about it. But then there's a lot of issues that we face that we would consider great issues. Like things the Bible calls disputable matters because the Bible is not black and white or explicitly clear. There's things that we will disagree with. And a lot of times these issues are the ones that divide the church and break relationships. I mean, think about it. in a church this size, no doubt we're going to fall on different issues. We got Democrats and we got Republicans here. We got liberals and we got traditionalists. We have progressives and we have conservatives. So, so there's going to be issues. L let me just demonstrate how diverse we are, okay? And so I'm going to ask everybody to participate. I'm going to give you two options. Raise your hand on one. But here's a great issue. How many people think... It's wrong for Christians to smoke. Raise your hand. Okay, good. Thank you for your honesty. Please be honest and know that you're not going to be alone because it's so diverse. Okay, so you can put your hands down. How many people don't think it's a sin to smoke? Okay, good. About the same amount of hands, maybe a little bit more. So, so we have different beliefs. I remember when I was in college, I was going to this college fellowship for an entire quarter, about 10 weeks, and I left that fellowship. Because it was during finals week, week 10, where I saw our worship leader outside of the science library at UC Irvine smoking a cigarette. And to me, that troubled me that that was my worship leader smoking a cigarette. I'm a Christian, but so is he. Obviously, we have different views of it, who's right, who's wrong. It's a great issue. Let, let me give you another example. Everybody vote once, okay? Everybody raise your hand at least once. But how many people think it's Wrong for Christian leaders, imagine Pastor Gary driving a BMW. How many people would have a problem Pastor Gary rolled up in a BMW here at church? Okay, good. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Good. Good. All right, cool. How many people say, no, it's okay. Pastor Gary could drive a BMW. He'll love you guys for that. He loves this church. <laughs> no, but I remember a time when I was with my friends, Christian friends, and we were all hanging out, and one of the Christian leaders from our fellowship pulls up in a shiny brand new Beamer, his, his, his BMW sports car. And I remember thinking when he pulled up, everybody's ooing and aahing. And I remember thinking in my heart, and you call yourself a Christian. <laughs> like, how could you be so materialistic and love the things? And it, it really bothered me. He's a Christian. I'm a Christian. Who's right and who's wrong? Let me give you one more. How many of you guys think it's okay? Um, for Christians to hang out in Vegas. Yeah? Okay, yeah, good. Be honest. How many of you believe with all your heart Christians should not be hanging out in Vegas, the city of sin? Okay, there's some of you. Yes, thank you for being honest. No, really, I, in the college, there, I remember this one night distinctly. We were in our uh, apartment, and I had to spend the whole evening consoling my friend 
my friend, he's a godly man, man of the word. He, he was a co-leader in our core group in my college fellowship, and I, I just had to sit with him as he's venting, me for, for, venting to me for hours. Why? Because he found out that a group from our fellowship was going to Vegas and planning a Vegas trip. And he was so furious. How can they call themselves Christian, Christians, hang out in the city of sin? I, I had to be like, calm down, calm down. They're Christians. He's a Christian. Who's right? Who's wrong? The Bible doesn't address a lot of the great issues that we're going to come across. But the Bible does acknowledge that they exist. The Bible calls them disputable matters. Can Christians watch R-rated movies? Can Christians smoke legalized marijuana? Can Christians curse and cuss? Can they listen to rap music? Here's what the Bible says. Turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. And Paul's going to address this. And before we read it, let me just give you the context. The context, the, the great issue at hand was the issue of eating meat offered to idols. Because back then it was a pagan culture and like everybody was offering meat and food to the idols. They would come to the to altar and bring these sacrifices. But when they were done with the ritual, what are you going to do with all the meat? And what they would do is they would put it back onto the market at discounted prices. And a lot of these Christians would be like, cheap meat? I'm in. And they would buy this meat, take it home, and they would cook it up. And sometimes they would prepare meals. And I would imagine they would invite people from the fellowship over to the house to eat. Now, a lot of these Christians who, who were seasoned in their faith, they're like, yeah, we know that idols are nothing. There's nothing more than stone and wood, so I, I, I can eat this meat, no problem. And yet Paul's concern was for these other recent converts who just came out of a life of idol worship, who are now calling themselves Christians, and yet they have a problem that you guys are eating meat that was offered to idols. I used to do that. That stuff is like we're participating in idol worship. And so there's disagreement here, and here's how Paul addresses the issue. Verse 1 in Romans 14. He says, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters, great issues. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. He's accepted, they've, they've been saved by grace, they're, they're saved, he accepts them all, so so what do we do? And it stumbled these, these young believers that these other believers would eat idol meat. And it, it did something to their conscience. It caused them to stumble and that it somehow hindered their faith. It stunted their Christian growth when it really, they should have been edified and encouraged and built up. And so Paul's saying, here's the solution. Verse 14, he goes on, he says, I know, speaking for himself, and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it's unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Would you guys underline that? Verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So what Paul is saying, he says, I know meat is fine. Even if it's been offered to idols, it's, it's okay. But if I decide to eat it in front of him or invite him to my house to, to have him eat against his own conscience, I'm not walking in love because I'm stumbling him. I'm being a stumbling block when I should be a stepping stone. Instead of hindering him from his faith in Jesus, I should be a stepping stone, bringing him closer to Jesus at all costs. Let, let me give you a modern day example. Let's say that I love Diet Coke. It's true, I love Diet Coke. It's so good. And let's say there's, there's someone in here who thinks Diet Coke is a sin. Let's say her name is Monica Ma. And let's say, like, we dispute over it all the time. Um, no, let's say somebody else. Okay, let's say one of you thinks it's a sin. You think it's a sin and it's of the devil for me to drink Diet Coke. 
security, get this man out of here. He's crazy. <laughs> no, let, let's say that, that it really troubles you. And so we're hanging out. Now, does that forbid me, since the Bible doesn't speak against Diet Coke, does that forbid me from ever purchasing and consuming Diet Coke just because he thinks it's of the devil? No, as far as I can see in the scriptures, no, the scripture does not forbid me from buying and drinking Diet Coke. I'm not going to hell for that. But here's the thing. If, if we're going to hang out together and I know that it's going to trouble him to see me drink Diet Coke and maybe even be tempted to drink, then, then I ought to do away with Diet Coke when we're together. I shouldn't even go close to it. Why? Because that's the way of love. I shouldn't be a stumbling block to him. I should be a stepping stone. Why? Because if I do choose to drink in front of him, I care more about pleasing myself than I do about loving him. I care more about my liberty than I do about loving him. I remember uh, at my previous church, there's this one preacher that, man, I loved so much. I still do great preacher, one of the, the men who's had the strongest impact on my life and longest impact till this day. I still remember things he has said. Loved it every time he came to guest preach at our congregation. And I remember one time that the Chinese congregation at our church, because that's part of the English-speaking group, but the Chinese congregation, which was an older generation, and they're more traditional, they're the kinds who come up to church dressed in their suits and with their ties. They asked this preacher to speak for their service. And he said, I'd love to. And they, they just made one request. We just request that when you come, make sure you dress with suit and tie. And he's like, what? I mean, this guy's the guy who's like, you know, he's always in t-shirts and a short. He's like, why? The Bible doesn't say that wearing a tie makes you closer to God and makes you more holy. And so he, he was troubled that they asked him that he needs to wear, they told him he needs to wear a shirt and tie. Well, the, the morning came, Sunday morning came for him to come and preach to the Chinese congregation. And he shows up in a t-shirt. No collar, no buttons, no tie, a t-shirt. I mean, to his credit, he tucked it in, which I've never seen before. He tucked it in. But he preached that morning. And I have to tell you that I've always been so pumped by his preaching. I've always been so pumped up by his preaching, but that day I was deflated by his lack of love. Because as good as his message was that morning, as good as his message was, his decision, his refusal to wear a tie caused some people to refuse to pay attention. Instead of being a stepping stone and taking this opportunity to bring people closer to Jesus, he decided, I'm going to stand up for my rights. And he caused people to fail to hear the word of God that morning. As good as your message is, it doesn't matter if their ears are shut off and their hearts are closed. Paul is so serious about choosing the way of love. And not being a stumbling block. He says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, because this was also going on in the Corinthian church. But he says this. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Like, I know meat is okay. It's totally fine. But if it makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. That is outrageous love. I mean, church, can you imagine no more Korean barbecue? That's death. Can you imagine no more Lucille's Barbecue, my favorite restaurant? Can you imagine no more Dodger Dogs? Paul says no more Hebrew Nationals for me. Like I, I, if it means not stumbling my brother, I will not eat meat again. That is outrageous love. That is dying to yourself. But it's the way of love when he says I will go against what I believe on this gray matter if it means you not having to go against what you believe. And I'm going to be not a stumbling block, but I'm going to be a stepping stone. So you can travel the road of Christian freedom and insist on your personal rights. Or you can go the way of love and travel the road of edification and build up others for the love of Christ. Amen? Amen. That's way of love number two, the road of edification. Let me give you one more. Way of love number three a road less traveled is the road to restoration of the sinner. 
road to restoration, talking about the sinner. Because another way to love that is often avoided is confronting people on their sin. That's one of the hardest things to do in the church. When we see someone living in sin, to call them out on it. Not that Christians don't call out other Christians. It happens all the time. But there is a difference between condemnation and restoration. One is confronting in anger and indignation. One is confronting them in love. And to love, going the way of love is to restore and not to destroy. Look at Galatians chapter 6 with me. It's the last passage we'll look at today. Galatians 6, verse 1. Here's the instruction. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Would you circle that word restore? But watch yourselves or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. And so what it's telling us in verse 1 is that if you see someone caught in a sin, those who are living by the Spirit, restore that person. I had you circle that word restore because it's an interesting word. It's a, it's a Greek term because that was the language it was written in. But it was often used in, in, in medical terms. Like if you had a broken bone or a, a fractured bone, to, to restore would be to set it in its place so that it could heal and be restored to its proper position and its proper function. you got to set it in its place. In the same way, if you see a Christian brother or sister walking the straight path of righteousness, and yet they, they start going off in a crooked path, to restore them in love is to set them in their place so that they could be restored in their relationship with Jesus. We need to restore each other. Why would we go out of our way to confront each other and call each other out? Because look, verse 2. It says, carry each other's burdens, help each other, and in this way you what? You fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, the one chapter earlier, Galatians chapter 5, 14 says, the law of Christ is this, to love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, we don't only have permission to call each other out on our sin, we have the obligation to. And not only do we have the obligation to call each other out and confront each other, it's the most loving thing you can do for me. And sometimes that's the most loving thing I could do for you. This is a way of love, to confront each other in sin. Now, here's how to do it well. How do we make sure we're restoring them in love and not condemning them in anger? They're both confrontational, but but they're different. So how do we make sure we do it in love? Well, Galatians 6, this passage, in these three verses, we're given three ways to do it. Here's the first. Write this down. Restore by being gentle. Restore by being gentle. Verse 1 tells us again, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. You can, you can circle that word gently. You got to be gentle with them. And I I know that sounds obvious. Obviously, you want to be gentle, but it's not so obvious when it comes down to it. Because practically speaking, when you see someone you care about walking in sin or doing something wrong, there's gonna, it's going to bother you. If you really care about them, it's going to bother you. And there's going to be like this indignation. And maybe it affects you somehow, but you're going to look at them and say, how could you be so foolish? How could you be so evil? Or how can you be so selfish? And you're going to have, in black and white, you're going to be able to point out the scriptures. And the temptation is, watch this, your temptation is going to want to come and thump them over the head and be like, yo, that's a black and white issue. There's nothing gray about it. Look, it's written in black and white. There it is. Stop doing that. And you're going to want to give it to them. Now listen, let me give you some advice. You want to know the best way to shut a person's ear off and have them build this thick wall between you and them and their heart so that they're not hearing from you or from God. You know how you do that? You take all your evidence and you go into that place like a fiery prosecutor. You bring all the evidence. You lay it on them thick and heavy. There it is right there. I'm right. You're wrong. And I guarantee you, 
I've said this before, we all have this inner lawyer who will spring to life. Whenever you're being accused, that inner lawyer comes to life and will defend them till the death. No matter how wrong they are, they're going to fight in their own defense. Yet it's amazing how as thick as those walls can be around someone's heart, you, you know sometimes the most powerful thing to, to break those walls down, sometimes it's, it's a little loving gentleness and watch those walls come crashing down. So we start there, we got to restore by being gentle, don't forget that. But then the Bible also tells us in this passage, passage restore by being watchful. Write that in, restore by being watchful. Because verse 1 tells us also that as you go about it, watch yourselves because you also may be tempted. Like, so watch yourselves. And, and I've always understood that to mean, okay, I, I get it. Like, if I'm helping out a brother who's struggling with alcoholism, I got to watch out because when I go to the bar to rescue him, I might want to get drunk too. So I, I, I got to watch temptation. And yeah, that might be true. You got to watch out for that. But as I studied this passage this week, I realized there's other temptations we need to watch out for. And one of the major temptations we need to watch out when we see somebody else living in sin, we've got to watch out for the temptation to gossip. Right? We, we need to watch out for that temptation to want to talk to other people about it, which essentially humiliates the sinner. Because so watch this happen. We start discussing it. And we start seeking counsel from other people as if we need their validation or their affirmation that I, I am actually right and they're wrong. And a lot of times we'll dress it up as a prayer request. Hey guys, uh, we, we really need to pray for Brother Mark here. I think he's addicted. Yeah. Like I see him all the time and that Diet Coke. And, <laughs> and, right, and a lot of times, hey, hey ladies, let's get together and let's pray for Jamie. Because Jamie, man, she's been hanging out with that one dude a lot. And I know something. He's married. He's married. And, and they go to the bar after work all the time. And they're always hanging out. They do dinners together. And, and you might be right in all your facts. You might be right. But, but we, 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 we share this as if it's spiritual. We need to pray for them. But, but what you're doing is you are, you're gossiping. And sometimes we'll go to people and say, hey, just between you and me, okay, don't, don't tell anybody else, but, just, but here's, here's what Bill's doing. Here, just between you and me. And then what, what does this person do? They go to someone else, hey, just between you and me, you know, what, you know what Bill's doing? And that person goes to someone else, hey, don't tell anyone, it's just you and me, okay, just, just two of us. And then all of a sudden it's between you and the entire church, and everybody knows about Bill and what Bill is doing except Bill. Nobody's talked to Bill. So do Bill a favor and go straight to Bill and talk to him before you go talking with everybody else. There's going to be a temptation. You might not even realize that we're gossiping and humiliating this brother or this sister who's living in sin. And a lot of times you'll notice that when you share it with someone else, you kind of put your own spin to it to gain backing. To, to tell me, yeah, I am right, so that they could, yeah, that's, we, we, should, we should look out for it. And then when they tell it to someone else, they put their spin on it, and then it's telephone game. And so we, we, we need to watch out for that temptation. Watch yourself because restoring gently means that you restore them without humiliating them. Jesus told us, Matthew 18, go straight to the person. Talk to the person, not anonymously. Talk to them face to face. Here's the third way. So we, we do it gently. We, 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 we be watchful. Third, restore by being humble. Restore by being humble. Galatians 6.3 says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If you see sin in someone, someone else and you think you're something righteous and holy when you're not, you deceive yourselves. Because another temptation we have when we see someone walking in sin is the temptation to be arrogant and self-righteous. What did Jesus teach us in Matthew chapter 7, Sermon on the Mount? He says, when you see a speck in your brother's eye, what do you got to do? Take the what out of yours? The plank out of your own eye. Before dealing with the, the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, take out the plank in yours. Meaning, you probably got stuff you need to deal with. I mean, think about that illustration. It's, it's quite hilarious what Jesus was saying. He's a carpenter, and he's using a carpentry illustration. 
But people were probably laughing out loud as he's sharing this. It's kind of like this. It's like me walking around with two loaves of bread in my eyes. And, and I go up to you and I go, bro, I think you got crust in your eyes, man. <laughs> Wait, let me see. Yeah, you, man, that's embarrassing. You got crust in your eyes. You, man, honestly, you got to do something. You're like oblivious to that, that crust in your eyes. You get, and and it's, it's, it's ridiculous, right? It's like, man, I don't think you, don't think you realize it's there. You got yeah, you to work on that, man. And yet, even more reason why we shouldn't go talking to other people about that person's crust or that person's issue, right? Why? It's like this. Hey, yo, you know, you know Corey over there? He's got crust in his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> He's got issues, right? And a lot of times people see in us what we don't see in us. How humiliating is it for you to go tell people about that guy's issues when you got bigger issues, so stop and, and be humble, come before the Lord, and ask the Lord to reveal to you something that might be going on in you. Listen to this. A lot of times, God will use sin in someone else's life to get your attention about your own sin. Because a lot of times, the things that we hate most, what we see in other people, are the things we struggle with the most. Greedy people really don't like greedy people. People who love to be center of attention hate that lady who's always the center of attention. People who deal with pride detect pride in other people. And sometimes God's going to show you a brother or sister walking on a broken path, maybe to show you your brokenness as a lens into your own heart. It may or may not be true. Maybe God wants you to restore that person, but maybe God wants to first restore you. So stop. Like David asked, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, then lead me in the way everlasting. So let's be humble and let the Lord reveal our sin, experience his forgiveness, let him restore you, and then go restore your brother or sister. Restored people, restore people. Forgiven people, forgive people. And so the road of love is not the road of condemnation, but it's the road of restoration in gentleness, in watchfulness, in humility. I wanna stop here and I wanna close. I think it's appropriate that we close as the community of Christ by sharing in the communion of Christ. Because these roads that are less traveled, there's a reason why they're less traveled, because they're hard. And we want to avoid them. The road of eradication of poverty is hard because that means I have to die to myself and give up what I have to walk alongside someone in need. That's hard. And the road of edification is hard. Why? Because that means I have to die to myself and go against what I believe so I can help edify another believer. That's hard. And the road of restoration is hard. Why? Because I have to die to myself and examine myself and see my sin. So then I have to go and confront them in their sin. That's hard. And so there's a reason why these roads are less traveled. And trust me, I believe the only way that we as a church can walk these roads less traveled, the only way we can walk them well is as if we are walking along, we need to frequently look in the rearview mirror and look back and see the road that we all missed. The road that none of us has traveled. The Via Dolorosa. It's what the Romans called the, the road of suffering. That road that Jesus walked. None of us know that road, but Jesus walked that road. It was the road on which he bore the weight of the cross fell under the weight of the cross, and he took that road all the way to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it's in that place where Jesus died to himself so that he would eradicate our spiritual poverty. He was rich and became poor so that through his poverty, we would become spiritually rich. It was because he died to himself that he became the foundation of grace in which you would be edified. His body was broken so that his body would be edified. 
And it's because he died to himself that we were called out of our sin and we were restored by his grace. Amen? And so I think the only appropriate way for us to respond is to remember, look back at the road of suffering. And so it was on that night that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 11. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, saying, This is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink in remembrance of me. Remember me. Remember me, and it's when we remember him that we can love his body well. And so all throughout the room, we have these stations set up. We have cups of juice that represent his blood. We have crackers that represent his body. And I want to invite you guys, when you guys are ready, I'm going to pray for us. And you guys just come when you're ready. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, okay, this is for those who truly believe that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you, then come and give thanks. And remember that the only reason why we go and show outrageous love is because he first outrageously loved us. And give thanks to him and ask him to now help you go in love likewise. You guys can take the elements here and and, um, deposit them in the the baskets up here. If you can't get up for whatever reason, just raise your hand and our ushers will come and bring it to you. As Pastor Dave mentioned, we're, all, we're, we're going to keep worshiping, so we're not going to have a time of offering, but the offering baskets are right here with the red tarps. You guys can drop your connect cards, your offering there. But let's just worship. Let's worship through the communion table. Let's worship through offering. Let's worship through singing. And let's give God his glory. Amen. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much that there's a way to walk these roads. And it's by remembering the road that none of us has ever walked. It's the road to the cross. You did that for us, God. So God, we thank you so much that your son, Jesus Christ, allowed his body to be broken for us and his blood to be shed. We pray that that would be the strength we find. That would be the motivation we have. That that would cause us to go and love likewise. That it would help us to die to ourselves because you first died for us. God, we love you and we worship you. God, we give you our hearts. We give you our praise. We pray this in Jesus' name.